Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. You got your Bible with you this morning. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, we're going to take our uh, time together this morning in verse 6 and be looking at this next beatitude here that Jesus is speaking. Uh, We're moving through the beatitudes in a series that we've entitled The Blessed Life. And as we do, we're we're hearing Jesus pronounce blessing on certain spiritual qualities. We've heard Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. And if you've missed any of these messages, let me encourage you to go back and and grab those first few and catch up with us here so that you'll be on track with where we're going. You can can visit our video archives online at faith-assembly.org. You can also find that video archive on our church app. If you'll search your app store, it's MyFaithAG. You can find us there as well. And uh, you can also find these messages on your favorite podcasting app. So if you'll grab any of those, you can join us and get up to date with with us, catch up with us where we are here. And uh, if I could this morning as we begin this message, however, I would like to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had a craving? Some of you are starting to experience that phenomenon right now, aren't you? (laughs) A strong desire, something on the inside of you that has caused you to pursue with all of your being a certain goal or attain a certain good. We all know what it's like to to have a craving, to have a longing on the inside of us. It it may be food, or it may be advancement in the workplace, or it may be a relationship that you've wanted, or a purchase that you've uh, had to save for. But we all know what it's like. Whatever it was, it, it was the last thing you thought of at night, It was the first thing you thought of in the morning, and it consumed your every waking thought in between. And you just wanted it so bad. You wanted it so bad, you imagined, you dreamt about what it would be like when you could finally get a hold of it. And how many of you know when you want something, a certain thing, nothing else will do? Nothing else will satisfy I've never wanted pizza and been happy with a cheeseburger. Come on, somebody. Right? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've craved for something and you weren't able to satisfy that craving? For whatever reason, the the deal never worked out, the promotion never came through, the The possession never became yours and you were just left in a season, a perpetual season of wanting with no way to satisfy the longing in your heart. Well, I've got good news for you today. We know that that's disappointing. We know that that's disheartening. But Jesus introduces to us here in this beatitude a craving that comes with a fail-safe guarantee, a longing for you and I which will always be satisfied. And we hear Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm excited to share this message with you today, and I hope that it's a blessing to you before you leave this place today. You have a renewed or at least a refreshed perspective on a pursuit of the things of God. And as we begin this message today, I want to start similar to the way I did last week. I'm not going to start with these first words, but I want to start this morning with the subject of this this verse. I want to start here with the object of desire. Now, as we've been reading these words of Christ, as they're stated here in the Beatitudes, we've been led so far on quite a path of self-discovery as it pertains to our spiritual state. We've been confronted with our own spiritual bankruptcy. We've been challenged to have a repentant spirit regarding our sinfulness and our shortcomings. And not only have we uh, been led to take an introspective look in, in ourselves and examine our own spiritual condition, but we've also been uh, led to examine our spiritual condition as it relates to how we move and operate with others. As we heard Jesus last week say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Of all these things, though, that we've may have realized about ourselves during the course of this series of messages, the one thing that we can get out of this is that we're all broken people. We're all broken people. And the source of that brokenness, and you may be here today and you can identify with some sort of brokenness in your own life, Maybe you're suffering some type of mental anguish. Maybe you're suffering in a relationship. Maybe things are going south someplace in your life and you're thinking, yeah, I I can identify with that. But I want to tell you today, the source of that brokenness is not necessarily psychological. It's not emotional or even physical. The source of our brokenness are not the bad relationships in which we're entangled. But the source of all of our brokenness is that we are part of fallen humanity. We are sinful people. As Paul writes to the Roman church, we understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Brokenness may manifest itself in our lives in many ways. Brokenness looks like a lot of things. But at the root of it, brokenness is because I am sinful and I am undone and I live in a fallen world. And I bear in my life and in my spirit an inheritance from my earthly father that came through the Adamic line, that nature that Adam passed on to mankind. And because of that, I have sinned, I have fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm broken. The most important aspect of our lives, though, that has been damaged by our sinfulness, we need to understand, is the fact that sin and brokenness has separated us from God. That because of our sinful nature, because of our sinful humanity, we can't stand in right relationship with God Almighty. The creation has been severed from the Creator. He cannot fellowship with us. He cannot walk in accord with us. He can't commune with us in our brokenness. And here we see Jesus encouraging us 
to seek righteousness. Now righteousness as defined by Thayer is this, the state of him who is as he should be. Do you know how you should be? I'm not here to tell you how you should be. I'm not here to tell you what you're supposed to watch on TV or what you're not or what kind of music to listen to because I believe that a relationship, a real fervent relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit will work some of those things out in your life. But I'm here to tell you today that there is a relationship to be had. And as this definition goes, the state of him who is as he should be. If we go all the way back to the garden, if we find Adam there in the garden, we will find a man there who was untouched and untainted by sin. And a man with whom the Lord himself would come and walk with him in the cool of the evening and commune with him as friend to friend. They had a real relationship. Let me tell you something. If you have relationships minus communication, you only have acquaintances. But to have a real relationship, you have to have communication. And God would come and he would walk with Adam and he would commune with him. Now I want you to understand this. This this definition continues and says the condition of being acceptable to God. So when Jesus says that we're to seek righteousness he's saying I want you to seek I urge you to seek and to position yourself to be in right relationship with God this is a righteousness is a state of being it's not a state of doing it is a condition it is a condition that has been purchased for us through the justifying work of Jesus Christ as he hung on a cross for the sins of humanity and prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And there he yielded up his spirit and the temple veil was torn into, indicating to us that our sins through the shed blood of Jesus Christ have made us and positioned us in such a way that we can come before the presence of God and we can commune with him again as friend to friend. And Jesus encourages us to seek righteousness. Righteousness is accepting the atoning work of Jesus Christ in my life for the covering of my sins, understanding that that is the only way through accepting what Christ has done in my life that I am made right before God. I want to share with you a little illustration here so that you'll understand this better in the Old Testament. Maybe you read the Old Testament a lot and you see a lot of types and symbology there and you don't really understand everything that you see. Or as the old guy said, I don't understand everything I know about that. In the Old Testament in the wilderness tabernacle, Moses was instructed to build this ark. The Ark of the Covenant, you've heard of it. And it's, it's not just part of an Indiana Jones movie. It is a real thing. And he gave these very meticulous details about how this thing was to be constructed. And he, he told Moses, he said, I want you to build the seraphim above it with their wings touching. And he said, under that, the mercy seat. And under that's a cabinet. And it holds the Ten Commandments, that law. Let me tell you about the law. All of those things that we read in the Word that says, Thou shalt not. 
You shall and you shall not. Can I tell you that those things are powerless to save us? The only thing that those things can do for us is to point out where we've gone wrong. All that they can do is hold before us the mirror of God's righteousness and say, here's where you're broken. And here's where you've fallen. And here's where you're undone. And here's where your life is shattered. But in that Old Testament typology... There's a, there's a prescription for worship that's given there of a high priest who's to come in. And God said, my presence is going to abide there between the seraphim above the mercy seat. And he told the priest to come into that place with a sacrificial atonement. The blood of a sacrifice. And I want you to sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood. You see, beforehand, God's presence is there between the wings of the seraphim and he's looking down on the law and all that he can see is the, is the law the, that is descriptive of his righteousness and his holiness and it points to all of our failings. But when the mercy seed is covered with the blood, he looks down, he no longer sees the law, but he sees the blood covering the brokenness. And that's the only way that I can be right with God is for the blood of Jesus to be covering my life and covering the brokenness so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see a sinner, but he sees a blood-bought, ransomed, redeemed child of the Most High God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to us, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after that work in their lives, for they shall be filled. Now, we've correlated all of these principles with other passages of Scripture, and we've gained a greater understanding, but I believe this principle can be correlated to another passage that will help us not only gain a greater understanding, but it'll also help us gain a greater sense of priority. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these words. We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is speaking to the masses, and he says this, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And I want to ask you today, what consumes the most of your energy and the most of your effort? What are the things that you more intensely pursue? The things pertaining to this life or the things pertaining to your spiritual health and well-being? And Jesus says here, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And Jesus is here telling them that there's a greater priority in life than even their physical needs. He speaks about the birds of the air. He speaks about the lilies of the field. And then he gives this objective. And he says to those listeners on that day, and I convey to you, but seek you first the kingdom of God and... What? His righteousness. Not our righteousness. 
not good works, because the very best that we can do in producing righteousness in our own lives, God said before him, is a filthy rag. But the first thing that is to concern us and to consume us, like that desire we spoke of earlier, that is our last thought of the day, it's our first thought in the morning, and it's consuming every thought in between, is how can I be closer to Jesus? How can I be better positioned to be in a relationship with God? He says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, you seek God first, you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. And in seeking this righteousness, we've not only learned from Matthew 6 that it should be a priority in our lives, but it should also be something in our lives that demands our attention. Jesus said that they would be blessed, or as we've studied so far, happy if they hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, hungering and thirstings are expressions of natural craving. Hunger is to crave. That word thirst means to long for. Uh, E.C. Wickham says this, hunger is the goad of nature that makes us work. I like that. There have been a lot of things I've done for the fear of being hungry that I didn't necessarily want to do. How many of you are terribly excited about work in the morning? How many of you don't want to go hungry and you know that that's your means of supply? Right? Absolutely. Hunger is the goat of nature that makes us work. So Jesus has illustrated this pursuit of a right relationship with God by referencing natural impulses that demand an intentional response. Adam Clark says this, as the body depends for nourishment, for its nourishment, health, and strength upon the earth, so does the soul upon heaven. Psalm 63, 1 and 2, the psalmist says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you with my whole being. Uh, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. David said, I'm thirsty for you, God. It's not the only place, of course. We know David said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. He had a hunger and an insatiable desire to, to, to be near God and to be in right relationship with him. Now, I want to I take just a minute here to like, do a, a contrast and comparison between our expressions of how important God is to us and the way that God says that he's important to us. You see, we are, we are so clever. And we're clever in, in ways that we express our need of God. Now, now many songs have been penned that, that say something like this. When expressing our need of the Lord and right relationship with him, we say, more than the air I breathe. More than my next heartbeat. I, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, more than the air I breathe, more than my next heartbeat. 
And when expressing our experience of God's truth and presence in our lives, we sing, this is the air I breathe. Because it it is that vital in our lives. Now, understand, I'm not trying to point these songs out as heretical because the truth conveyed by these songs is fundamentally accurate. But in the way that we react and the way that we interact with God, this is not right. And I'm going to show you why. God's presence and truth in our lives is as vital to our spiritual lives as the air that fills our lungs and the blood that courses through our veins. However, they are never the way that God expresses the importance of our relationship to Him. Why? Let me ask you this. How many of you thought about breathing before I just mentioned it? How many of you thought about your heart rate or how the blood is coursing through your body bringing life right now? You see, vital though those things may be to your physical well-being, they are involuntary impulses. You're going to do it without a thought. It just happens. You can do it in your sleep. You can do it while you're concentrating on something else. You can do it and you're never aware that you're doing it. The only time that we become keenly aware that we are doing that is when we're faced with a situation or circumstance where we can't. When we are submerged under the water, we then become keenly aware of our need of oxygen. When we're faced with a cardiac moment, then we are become keenly aware and we are impressed with the importance of the blood flow through our body. But unless there's a crisis point in our lives that calls those things to our attention, generally we just leave them on autopilot. And can I tell you that's the way it is with a lot of believers as well in their relationship with God. It's just on autopilot until a crisis arises in their lives and they are stricken with the awareness of their need of Him. Then all of a sudden, they can't stay away from the church house until they get what it is that they were wanting God to do for them and then they're gone for another six months and you don't see them again until the next crisis strikes. See, that's not what God wants from us. That's not what God desires from us. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am living water. Because I want to tell you something today. You may be sitting in this place right now and and the bells may be ringing letting you know that it is bow time. And you know what? I know how the roadrunner feels. I don't know if you remember those coyote and roadrunner cartoons, but the roadrunner would come zipping by and the coyote would see him and then all of a sudden he would envision this bird on a platter, cooked and roasted. And in about 15 more minutes, some of you are going to begin gazing at me the same way. I've seen it. You need to have a hanky ready because you... Some of you get a little something, right? That's when I know it's time to bring it home, amen. See, 
Hunger and thirst are powerful motivators. Albert Barnes says, No needs are so keen, none so imperiously demand supply as these. They occur daily, and when long continued, nothing is more distressing. That is the way your pursuit of the things of God need to be. It needs to be something that is on you every day from the time you get up until the time you go to bed at night, realizing and recognizing your need for the divine in your life. And it doesn't need to be some involuntary thing that's just happening to you, but it needs to be something that demands a response. When we get thirsty, when we get hungry, it demands our action. We have to physically get up and go someplace and find something to satisfy the craving on the inside of us. He doesn't want to be your involuntary impulse or something that you can only think about in times of distress or irregularity. He wants to be what you hunger for. He wants to be what you thirst after. And he wants you to get up and get after it. Same way. Hunger is a, a wonderful thing. Let me tell you what. Hunger is a unifying thing, too, in the body of Christ. I thank God for this congregation of people. I really, really do. Because I believe that it is reflective of heaven. I believe that when we gather and we're in this place singing and we're praising the Lord together, I can look around me and I can see white folks and black folks and Asian folks, Hispanic folks, people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, just like in the book of Revelation that it says that there's going to be around the throne of God. And I'm telling you, church, that's the way it should be. But sadly, strangely enough, the house of the Lord many times is one of the most segregated places on earth. But the Golden Corral is not. (laughs) Today you will see a coming together of the body of Christ that will break all denominational lines, It will cross every racial divide and people of every kindred, tribe, and tongue are going to come together at the buffet line because they're hungry, because they're thirsty. And I'm telling you, when the people of God get hungry and thirsty, the petty stuff that don't mean anything is going to go away. It's going to be done away with. And we're all going to come together seeking that thing that satisfies in our lives. Now, if the aim of my life is to live this way, this blessed life, and, and, and the aim of my life and the pursuit of my life is to live in such a way that I am in right relationship with God, then I have a promise from Jesus, and that promise is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. 
Now I want to share this with you this morning as I hasten towards a close, and that is this. If you're here today and you feel empty, perhaps the reason for that emptiness is that you have sought to satisfy the longings of your life in every imaginable way, in any imaginable way, but you've never one time approached the only and the true life-giving source, which is Jesus Christ. You've never committed your life to Him. You've never given your all to Him. You've never looked to Him to be made righteous in the sight of God. Today I want you to know that you're going to have a chance to accept the free gift of His grace that will position you for a right relationship with God before you leave this place today. Not only those of you here in the house, but those that are watching online as well. God's no respecter of place or time. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, well, that, no, that's not it. Because I love Jesus and I have been serving the Lord for a long time, but I still feel empty. Then to you, I want to offer you this challenge. If we want to be filled with the things of God, sometimes it is necessary for us to empty ourselves of the things of us and the things of the world. You see, living a life that prioritizes a right standing with God sometimes calls for certain sacrifices to be made. You see, there there are a lot of people who as it pertains to issues of sin and sinfulness want to engage in the debate and the argument as to just exactly how much sin can I get away with before I miss out on heaven? How much sin can I entertain in my life before it's too much sin and I become disqualified? And the truth of the matter is, in that instance, we're not really living, we're not really prioritizing a relationship with God. We just want to see how much we can indulge ourselves but still be okay to go to heaven. How much can I live for me but still enjoy God's kingdom in eternity? For them, salvation is not at all about a right relationship with God, but it's about being saved from the torments of hell. And I want to tell you, yes, Jesus came and he died for your sins. Yes, he came to deliver you and rescue you from perishing eternally in hell. But those are symptoms more than the cause The cause for which Christ came was to wipe away the inhibitions that kept us from a right relationship with God. He came not just to save us from our sins, but because we're saved from our sins, to be restored to a right relationship with God the Father. And I'll remind you of the words again from Jesus of Jesus in Matthew 6. It says this. That if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the things that we need will be added to us. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago that we looked at the Laodicean church from Revelation chapter 3. And Jesus spoke to them and said, you thought you were well off and increased with goods. 
but you're really blind and miserable and naked and you have nothing. Jesus says that we will be filled. Strong's defines that word filled, that Greek word that we translate filled there to supply with food in abundance. What did Jesus say he came for? That we would have life and have it in abundance. In Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3, we hear this messianic prophecy here and it says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me, listen. And eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me, listen, that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Another place, Luke chapter 22, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And it says here that a dispute rose among them to which of them would be considered the greatest. And Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest of you, the greatest among you, should be like the youngest. And those who rule like one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you the kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Church, I want to tell you something. Jesus has prepared for you and I a spiritual abundance and if we will prioritize a pursuit of God's righteousness in our lives in other words we are pursuing being positioned in such a place to have fellowship with God and if we diligently and purposefully pursue that, the promise of Jesus Christ is that we will be filled. That we're going to be overflowing. That we're going to have that abundant life. I remind you today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Would you stand? I need our altar team to position themselves this morning.
And I want to issue this simple call. You've come in this place today, and I don't know what brought you here. I would venture to guess a longing. Something on the inside of you that is perishing. A part of your being that languishes and is in want. And maybe you've been to church before and you didn't find what you were looking for. But today you said, I'm going to try it one more time. I'm going to go, I'm, I'm just that desperate that I need, I need something to satisfy the longing of my heart. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.